Matthew Kalowski, also known as Slim, also known as the host of Lincoln Bio. Chances are, if you have been listening to this or any of his other numerous podcasts, you are already familiar with this man. But do you really know him? And who am I? Let's just say, I'm a fan going by the name of Mikey P. Ever since Lincoln Bio launched, I would write to Matt and plead with him and beg him and threaten him to flip the script and let me interview him for this season's finale. And as part of the settlement terms and the lawsuit against me, he agreed. So what does a host of an interview podcast choose for his own topic? A man with a lot of interests. Would it be comics or pro wrestling or customized Jeeps? or The Simpsons, or a Tom Cruise movie. We sat down at a breakfast nook and discussed one of the most underrated films of all time by the name of Vanilla Sky. Tom Cruise stars as a young, inherited millionaire, coasting through life, taking it for granted, until he finally connects with a woman who changes all that. But his past indiscretions catch up to him, and from that point on, you are taken on a roller coaster ride, seeing him incarcerated for murder, his fall into madness, as his life goes from a dream to a nightmare. In the end, it's a sci-fi surprise ending you never see coming unless you open your eyes, open your ears, and listen to us discuss it. Two thousand one. This comes out. You're seeing it in theaters. December. This is the end of this two thousand. December. I remember the day. It was a breezy December after. I don't remember the day. (laughs) But I did go to see it in theaters. I saw it by myself. Really? Nobody wanted to see it with me. Yeah. Eighteen year old about to graduate. Pennsylvania. Eighteen. Two thousand one. Yeah, I think so. Two thousand one. Yeah, I would have been. I must have been on break from. Unless I was in school around this time, because I remember where I was in September. But, yeah, I must have just decided to go by, see it by myself. And I remember, I didn't know what the hell the movie was about. It's just, like, he saw the poster he was on, his hunky hair. Well, you're already a fan at this point. Like you're Oh, like, for sure, you're yeah. You're following him. You're watching it no matter what comes out. He was on a tear in the early 90s. He was, yeah, because I went back to find the, I sent a tweet about how, like, these string of four or five movies around this era were, like, the best modern Tom (laughs) Um, because I guess right before this was technically Mission Impossible 2. So maybe that's where the hair comes from. But Magnolia was right before that. But then right after Vanilla Sky did Minority Report. Yeah. And then Last Samurai and Collateral. Like three of the best for Tom Cruise movies of all time. Actually, well, no, those, you, those four right there. You got to go before that, though. Like, he did Few Good Men, I think, is when he started, really. I mean, that that movie comes on TBS right now. Anybody's watching that. <laughs> Till the Everyone's end. Everyone's stopping what they're Everybody's doing. Everybody's stopping they're, what they're doing. They're canceling their OTF class. <laughs> <laughs> watching Eyes Wide. They're watching that. Well, I, th- I don't... My love affair with him kind of starts around this era. Hmm. Where, like, you know, Interview of the Vampire is great. Few Good Men is great. And then you go further back, like Days of Thunder. But like my Tom starts with like Jerry Maguire is amazing in my opinion, but like Vanilla Sky is where it starts because like all my favorites happen after that. Like Collateral, Last Samurai is like my second favorite one. Hmm. Mission Impossible Three, um, Ghost Protocol, like Collateral is an amazing movie for sure. But like, there's so many good Tom movies after that period. It's funny because if you ask somebody else, they probably do all the movies before this one mm-hmm. came out, like right. Interview with a Vampire and Cocktail and Tom and uh, Top Gun yeah. or something like that. Yeah, for sure. I I I don't know. I feel like those movies back then are good, but they don't have like the emotional punch that his later ones do. Like Minority Report, Report for sure. Last Samurai obviously is like my martyr martyr dad theme of comics and movies that i love like you know alcoholic tom cruise general goes to feudal japan and becomes a samurai <laughs> trying to find himself is essentially like fear agent in japan you know it's funny you mentioned fear agent because as i was watching this i guess with you in mind i there was a lot of especially towards the end there's a lot of parallels to fear agent that i'm like there's i mean there's two women in this movie he dies they both die mm-hmm. And just at the end of their life, kind of reflecting on their life and facing death again. I mean, there was a lot of parallels to that. There's a lot of great quotes in this movie, too. 
like um there's a ton of mark twain in fear agent but there's a there's a lot of good stuff in this movie like where he when he says even in my dreams i'm an idiot who knows he's about to wake up and there's the sweet and the sour speech that jason lee has a few times you will never know the exquisite pain of the guy who goes home alone because without the bitter baby the sweet ain't as sweet have a good time um but also sophia um, Penelope Cruz has a ton of great lines in this movie too. A lot of those lines, I can't believe. Like when you talk about all the all the lines in this movie afterwards, looking up things on the internet, where all the theories and all the little things that he put in the movie were mind blowing. I mean, mm-hmm. I have a list; we could go through it. But I, want, I wonder if you know all these. I remember when I first saw it, like because the second half of the movie is kind of was kept secret and no one knew. It was just I think the majority of what was known about the movie was. Tom Cruise plays like this womanizer, rich playboy who gets in a car accident and his life changes. And everything else after that is unknown. So when I go to see it, I'm just kind of curious what's going on. And then he gets in a car wreck and his face is mangled pretty much. So he looks, you know, you know, he, it looks like he had a serious car accident when his face is all screwed up. And then I didn't know what the hell was going on after that. Like what, what is, what happens from this point on for Tom Cruise's character? He's like man without a face. And is then it, the, the halfway mark kind of changes. Like things start to get like really good for him in this movie. And it becomes kind of like a science fiction. Uh, I don't even know how to really describe it because it hits like three or four different genres. And at the very end, it becomes kind of like a futuristic film but grounded in that you don't really see outside of the the characters themselves so it still feels like a very compartmentalized movie with just character work and and like tom and that's it yeah i mean what works so well in this movie is the editing because the way information is like delivered if it was done any different it would sort of be it wouldn't have worked like they were perfect okay he's in he's being interviewed by a psychiatrist in or doctor in he's got wearing this mask and he's wanted for murder they say and mm-hmm. so just that little bit in the beginning is sort of like even from the beginning you're like what's going on what's going on in this movie and i thought he was like amazing in this because he took a risk like i'm when we're going through his movies he took a risk in this because it's not like uh if this isn't executed well this could have fallen apart could have been. oh for sure yeah. I, I, I was thinking the same thing when i was done because for him to reteam with Cameron Crowe after they had done Jerry Maguire and then do this movie as like their follow up. Yeah. People must have been like, what are you talking about? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would this be your follow up movie? Like, Womanizer, Tom Cruise, wanted for murder, assault, and then he's like in prison and he gets out. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But. I f- you're you're absolutely right. It was kind of like a like a I put in my letterbox review earlier like a courageous move that they would even think of doing this film at like the height then of his popularity because I was even going through I was searching for some Vanilla Sky interviews that came out at the time and it's very strange going back to like 2001 reading interviews about Tom because they were like so glowing biggest movie star in the on the planet and they were even saying like you know he was going through the divorce with uh, Nicole Kidman, I think like six months later at the time of these interviews. And like, Tom's never had a bad, Tom's had never had bad PR. Mm. You don't hear one bad word about Tom Cruise from his friends. You never, there's no videotapes out there of Tom. Mm. There's no stories, scandalous stories about Tom. And I'm like thinking to myself like, Oh my God, wait, wait, wait a few years and his life is going to get turned upside down. But he was squeaky clean. And at the time, I read a Vanity Fair interview before the movie came out where he, I think this was like one of the first times he mentioned Scientology because the, the woman interview was like, what, how do you, what do you attribute your squeaky clean, you don't do drugs, you don't drink, what, how, do you, how do you do it? And he's like, I'll be honest with you, I've been a Scientologist for 15 years. And he starts to say a little bit about Scientology, how like it helped him, like their methods and whatever. Hmm. And it was just so strange reading an interview from that era Tom where he could do no wrong at that point no jokes about him no you know like innuendo crazy religion stuff but it was really wild time capsule 
you know, I think you have that problem, not the problem, but you, when you say you're a Tom Cruise fan, people kind of laugh, like they almost think it's like a joke, but mm-hmm. I think you have to like, you start having to offend him in a weird way because today, like the only thing people remember of Tom is like the craziness, I guess. So yeah. when you say, yeah, like Tom Cruise is my favorite, people laugh, you know what I mean? And you have to kind of separate what he's done like as an artist from who he is sometimes as a person or or that stuff yeah when those tapes came out scientology like secret tapes the video footage of him pitching scientology and then when he jumped on oprah's couch and all that stuff like (laughs) it's just so silly in retrospect to like i mean the couch stuff always like it it like annoys me i'm like my my argument is like so so he was like madly in love with someone like let's make fun of him for that like <laughs> who cares i was actually thinking like the opposite of what you said before because i remember at the time this came out people were or reviewers maybe it's one and everybody jumps on board but they were slamming this movie i feel like mm-hmm. it wasn't it, did, it, was, it no it's not well received at all so like when people when i tell people like vanilla sky is like my favorite movie they're like what you dummy <laughs> but like That's going what I in, I, I think my main uh to go back to when i saw it in theaters like i remember i was so stunned by the last like third of this movie hmm. and that it was just like unknown because at the time i hadn't seen the original uh spanish movie um so i was clueless as to what the plot of the film was but like at the end of the movie um i think by this point maybe we'll have explained the plot but like Tom plays this playboy womanizer who gets in a car wreck the night that he meets Penelope Cruz for the first time. And they have this gorgeous night together that they think they might be in love after just meeting each other like hours before. It's it's amazing on screen. They were like, we can come back to it. But he gets in a car wreck from this other woman that he was palling around with Cameron Diaz. And they get in a car wreck and he's like nearly killed. Um so he goes back after surgeries months later, he tries to find uh, Penelope Cruz's character and he's a total freak. Like they go out at a night out in the town and he's so infatuated with her that he thinks they're like meant to be, but it was only one night. So she's like, get out of my face, you freak. And it's super dark. And he eventually in well, the he- movie, in the plot of the movie, he like, he decides to kill himself but before that, he signs up with this company that's going to let him dream a better life. And But this isn't revealed until the end of the film. And it just like shocks you that that's what happened. Yeah. And the way it's filmed is like you are crazy, too, because you start seeing things. You start thinking like I'm watching this movie and thinking, OK, Jason Lee set him up for to be a murderer. And he really wanted Sophia the whole time. And yeah. it was Jason Lee. No, wait, no, wait, wait, maybe a Kurt Russell's the guy that like put him in there or, you know, the seven dwarves, as he calls them, the, the board of directors. And you start going crazy. Like what's happening? Is this face really messed up? Is it not? And, and you're feeling, yeah. you're feeling what Tom's feeling in a weird way. I don't think there's ever really a point where you kind of figure it out before everyone else, because you're living like the, the last, the, the ha- second half of the movie, everything starts going real well for him all of a sudden and later you find out that this is where his lucid dream started where he's in a dream state and he wants to live a life forever in these moments and everything's good but like it's all weird it's all like this seems kind of strange that everything's going so well for him and there's little clues later that you'll see but he eventually goes to the company that did the lucid dream stuff the the le and he's like, he's in prison for the murder of Sophia at this point. And he's like, there's something going on with this company. They're always popping up in my thoughts. This LE company, let's go check it out. So his doctor, Kurt Russell, like takes him and he figures it out. He's like, oh my God, I'm asleep. This is my dream. I need I need tech support. Something's glitching in my dream here, which, which is one of my all-time favorite scenes where he's running around asking for tech support. Touch the boy! It's a nightmare! She goes with me to a blossom room. I'm picking up with 
it's like I feel like this was ahead of its time in terms of you kind of getting your own virtual reality life however what the, whichever way you want it and then something goes wrong like how do you get out of that and it did happen to him in this movie he was like accused of murder like domestic assault and he's like help something's wrong on this app like i need out i love that scene when he figured it out too like when he because the dog it keeps popping up you don't even know why but he keeps watching this talk show with the dog and when he's in jail he i think he kicks kurt russell out and that just that shot of the, the tv reflecting onto him in the cell and him like banging trying to get him back has to be the best scene in the movie to me there i mean there's so many fantastic scenes in this movie like the when he first meets um uh penelope cruz that night his friend jason lee brings her to a party but he ends up like locking eyes with her as soon as he walks in and he makes it his goal to like you know meet and engage with her for that, for that night and that scene of their night together is like 40 minutes long and you can like literally see them falling in love in the in these scenes i wanted it's them to be palpable. together forever i love them together i wanted them so bad to be together <laughs> but like you have to really hit a home run for those scenes to work like with those two actors like you let, we're, like the script calls for 40 minutes of you two on a night together and you fall in love for the first night and that's it. Like you have to really be lucky for that to work on, on screen. And I felt like it totally did. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like when, I definitely when bought she's, them. When she's looking at the photos on her wall and there's just that long shot of Tom literally falling in love with her, hearing about her life. And he's just standing there like mouth agape. I think mm-hmm. I posted the screenshot to the Twitter account, but like, uh, it's just, a, it's, it's amazing. He's, su- all, he's such a good actor. That that apartment was way too big for a dancer in New York City. She must have had like 13 roommates. There's no way she had that kind of apartment. They were all out. You know, they were probably at dance class. No, but you're definitely right. I wanted them together. And like, it was like one of those moments when he, when Cameron Diaz comes up and she offers him a ride or whatever. She flirts mm-hmm. with him. And you're like, do not get in that car. Do yeah. not. Not even knowing what happens, but like, don't blow it with Sophia. And you don't can even it. see it in his face, too. Like, he knows that this is one of those decisions. Yeah. Like, this is one of those moments where, and I think they even reference that at the end of the movie. Uh, yeah, the little, just the little, little moments. Things. Yeah, the little, the little things. things are the biggest ones. But there's, there's there, I was going through my list of um, of items. Like, the, the him looking at her while she goes through her life is just so mm. real and so emotional. Um, one of the scene, one of the scenes, the little scenes from er- earlier, where he's throwing this big party, and he like kind of calls out to women at the party that he knows, like the bartender. He <laughs> says hello to her. The waitress. He says hello, and those two characters like are side by side and say hello to him, and he walks away, and they just like look at each other and walk away. Like you just know that they've had relationships in the past, and it's super yeah. awkward, and right. it's just terrible. <laughs> But You're right. I mean, like that scene, it explains so much of David Ames, Tom Cruise's character without even like saying anything. The club scene. Oh, that's when it that's when it really like because you're right. He was crazy because he thought he had this connection with her. But he was also crazy because he knew what his face looked like. It was messing with him. And that interaction with the bartender was like bizarre. Amazing. Yeah, oh bizarre. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, he after his face his surgery is like done, he decides to call up Penelope Cruz and this is like months later after their one magical night and his face is all effed up and he goes to see her at a club, but Jason Lee is there, his best friend is kind of like I mean, even you watching it, you're like, oh man, Jason Lee is there just to make sure nothing goes wrong with this creep, Tom Cruise. (laughs) And you feel, but you feel like dirty already. Like, oh my God, I feel so bad for him. When he starts going through their first like encounter, like he's trying to win her over and it was so awkward to just. Hello again. Hello again. Idea. Let's start over. (laughs) How about if you help me? Uh, Unless I'm horning in here. Oh, you are, but the food is good. See, I've got this little uh, problem. I've got a stalker. Uh, it doesn't sound life threatening. I need a cover. I need for you to pretend that we're having a scintillating conversation and you are wildly entertained. I know it's tough. I'll improvise. I don't talk like that. And she put so, up with it. That's yeah, why she's she a did. saint. That's why you're like, I love her. Just, I want them together. Yeah. She was- well, even him... Um, 
getting to the point to ask uh, Penelope Cruz for like a second date is creepy because he's just walking down the streets of New York following yeah. her. Right. <laughs> and yeah. she like feels that someone's looking at her. I mean, this is really like a dark movie because if you could just go by like the real timeline of events of David Ames, it's a bad life. Like at the, at the end where he has this, a fantastic night with what could be his true love. He makes a bad decision to go with this woman that he's having relations with. And then pretty much his whole life's turned upside down by a car accident. And then he tries to connect with Fiona. It goes poorly and then he kills himself. You, that is type of your type of thing too. What is it about that kind? <laughs> what is it about these characters that make mistakes? What mistakes have you made, man? I feel like that's just so it's just so real with all these characters. Like I th- I think these are like the most human, I don't know, like the, these these people that make mistakes and they have the the they face them and they have to come up with a way to either make them right or you know, kill yourself like for lack of a better <laughs> phrase i mean i watching it tonight again i kind of maybe forgot or didn't realize how dark the actual plot is yeah like it just goes so bad for tom cruise's character in this movie like it's crazy but in a weird way too because it's not like oh man i feel bad for him the whole time part of you is also the first time especially watching it you're like i don't know if i like this guy do i like this guy do i want him to win out yeah. Is he a creep? Do I want him with Sophia? Does she, does he deserve her kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Going back to what you were saying about you have no idea. The only time I because I didn't have any idea what was going to happen. Um, but when he has that crazy awkward scene at the the club and he wakes up on the street and she's there and she picks him up and then they have this great relationship, which is when the what do they call it the splice kicked in. Mm-hmm. That's the first time. And not even thinking anything, but I'm like, she's like a saint. How? Why would she even take him back? She yeah. either feels bad for him or whatever. Um, also, that he gets his face back was sort of... I was like, that's amazing that he was able to get his face back. <laughs> and like, once you watch the movie and you know what you know, it's sort of like, yeah, I was an idiot. How did I not see this? But right. it's definitely a movie you want to watch twice, I think, or several times because of all the clues in there and, mm-hmm. and the decisions that were made were were tremendous cameron crow he he impressed me because i you know i know jerry Maguire was everywhere and then mm. almost famous almost famous and it was like i i don't know if i was on the cameron crow train so hard oh, after you were? this movie oh after but but after this movie he yeah. like i think elizabeth town yep with uh orlando bloom yep. was like his follow-up to this yeah. and i was like what's going on here this well this impressed good. me it was so different and the way he shot it, the way he edited it, but mm-hmm. you know, leading up to this, I thought Cameron Crowe was you know okay, but like he was that type of guy that you grab a hold, he grab a hold of you at a party and being like, "Have you ever listened to John Coltrane? We're not leaving until we finish." And he just stare at you like, "You hear it? You hear it, man? You hear it? Do you hear what I'm hearing? Listen, listen to the music." like shoving music down your throat. But the soundtrack yeah. here, you know, like that's what you get from a Cameron Crowe movie. Like it's gonna be oh, music. Yeah. And I didn't get that from this. I thought the soundtrack was perfect in this movie. Soundtrack was amazing yeah. for this movie. I mean, the when um, you were talking about how he gets his face back, well, the scene like after his surgery where he's wearing the prosthesis and he's like too nervous to take it off to see what his face looks like, and Penelope Cruz slowly takes the mask off. Oh, man. oh my god, what a beautiful, beautiful scene! And then after that, there's just the scene of them rolling around in bed. Like totally like unfiltered in love, unreal. Yeah, oh my I, God, I played on loop Amazon video. I just <laughs> rewinds thirty seconds, <laughs> rewind thirty seconds. Oh God, this I, I, this is just in my opinion totally underrated and just been pushed out of the Tom archives by so many people, just because it's hard to describe it. Like, you can't really describe it. If you had to, like, explain the plot, like, the real plot, like, we tried earlier. I've, people <laughs> probably just shut off through the phone in the trash. But, but it's it's a strange movie to describe. Like, and maybe that's why there's the success just was never there. I think it got some good critical reviews, but I don't think time has been kind to this movie at all. I was trying to go back at the time why people didn't like it. And then, you know, part of me thought it was, like, Tom Cruise, Cameron Crowe, like we talked about. It was also two months after 9-11, and it's kind of heavy, yeah, maybe. So, like, people were, like, you know, not into it. It had a good box opening weekend. I, I was looking at mm-hmm. the numbers. 25 million opening weekend, but 
it had a budget of like 70 million and it made like i think it cleared 100 at the end so it kind of like plateaued quick and because i think the reviews started coming out i remember specifically wanting to see it and being turned away because of the reviews come on yeah don't don't let (laughs) let these reviewers run your life i think they just jump on one reviewer and they all like yeah yeah it's weird uh it's dark (laughs) so you saw the the original because the original came out like two or three years ago when they started filming this the spanish yeah version. I, after i saw the vanilla sky in theaters i tracked down a vhs of the spanish version open your eyes abre los ojos because i worked in a video store at the time main reason i connect the time frame of me working at a video store is because i remember when the dvds of this movie came out hmm. to the to the video store it was like my first week and um so i think at the time i probably tracked down the vhs at that place and watched it but yeah, I was I was like super fan. Nobody was, ever this was just a movie like I don't know, I've never met someone that was like, yeah, Vanel Sky is a good movie. Like I've never met anyone that like agreed with me. Like this is just this is just like it. Like it was just me and my mirror talking I, about Vanel Sky into the void. I probably never would have watched it unless you you had really? it on like your number one list and I thank you for it. When was the first time you watched it this year? I'm not going to count like the first years time. Ago? The first time I watched it, it was like I was um, <laughs> I was meeting my wife's like five of her cousins or something like that on like vacation. It was on in the background and I wanted to watch it, but I'm meeting like a hundred people. And What a terrible movie to have on yeah, the background. Yeah, you have to watch every second of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so I, and I, I'm glad I don't remember anything at the time. So if you were writing a review on Letterboxd, how many stars would you give it? This is a, you know, it, it's a four and a half because the it dark movies they don't sit well with me. Like I've been thinking mm-hmm. about this movie since I watched it. Like and it was only a couple of days ago, but I, I don't know. Like I'm definitely gonna watch it again for all the all the little tidbits we're gonna talk about in a little bit. But yeah. the um I don't know, it'd be tough to put on like I don't know. Like when he's oh my god, the hardest scene is when he's <laughs> When Sophia starts turning into Cameron Diaz's character and oh, he's yeah. snuffing her with a pillow and it, it's hard to watch. That's that dark. Was, it was like a crazy dark scene because he's he's like, you can see his reaction when he's like laughing and he's oh, asking like, what the F is happening? Oh my God. And they never show her face. He just looks and he sees her birthmarks, right? They don't, you don't even yeah. see that it was Sophia. You just know it was her. Good I mean, I like, honestly, this is like top five Tom performances for me. Like he's on a, he's on next level Tom acting in this movie i agree i agree he because he i always thought he made a better villain kind of guy or mm. like a dark you're not really sure about him I, he Remember, should have played he's more amazing than and collateral yes yes exactly um the, he was like yeah that playboy kind of attitude mm-hmm. of a few good men and that bad guy of uh the color of money maybe he also he was that like douche in um edge of tomorrow Oh, Remember the, he was yes. like that cop or he was like that army guy, that yes. the PR guy. Oh my God. He was amazing in that role too. That was a great movie too. I feel like, and mm-hmm. that didn't get accolades or, or money the way. No. Well, I, I always say that like around that period of Tom, all of those movies were marketed so poorly. I think his production department or production company was in charge of like the marketing for all of his movies. And I don't know if they changed or maybe they were just always bad, but for a period of like several years, all of those movies like um, Reacher, like when you, if you saw a trailer for Reacher, you're like, this looks like total dog crap. It looks like collateral. Go see this. Good yeah. guy collateral. <laughs> That's what they should have marketed it as. <laughs> but like I went, so I didn't even want to see Reacher when it came out. I was mm. like, who was marketing Tom's films? But because it was amazing. One of his best. Maybe you can. Maybe you can take over. Maybe I got to talk to Tom. Tom, you're listening. Tom, I just read your Vanity Fair interview from 2001. Let's talk. Let's get back there. You're like Cameron Crowe about Johnny Coltrane. You grab people and you're like, look at this Tom Cruise movie. Watch it. The Cameron Crowe of Tom Cruise. Do you get it? Do you get it? <laughs> Watch it again. Was it a, when did the lucid dream begin? You tell me. Also, he had the uh, the bullet Mustang, which was like at the time my all-time favorite vehicle that in was, history. Did you notice the tag on the car? I did. In the theater, so, like without not in theater. No, yeah. I only saw it after like internet forums pointed out that like his registration was on a non-existent date. So is it all a dream? The whole movie? Do you want to go knows? through the list? I went through the list. This could be boring. We could let's take this it. out, but let's let's go through the the little tidbits that that I found. 
because this is all new to me. Um, so during the the dream sequence when he's in Times Square, which we didn't really talk about that scene yet, that that's the one that stood out to me. Amazing, um, running, running, Tom. <laughs> um, on the jumbotron is a Twilight Zone episode called Shadow Play. Mm. It's about a man who found guilt found guilty of murder and sentenced to an electric chair. He is certain the whole murder is a reoccurring dream. Wow. I mean, they really thought about things. And there's a lot of stuff, but I'm trimming it to like the, the good stuff. Uh, the, so the same scene when he's running through Times Square and they're, they're splicing, cutting through a bunch of different images. One of the images is Katie Holmes on the cover of Rolling Stone. Whoa. <laughs> Pretty weird. weird. Uh, when Juliana's phone was ringing, Cameron, Cameron Diaz. Oh, yeah, life is but a dream. Life is but a dream. Row, 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 boat. Um, when they ask him at the birthday party, somebody's like, hey, dude, how you doing, man? And he goes, living the dream, baby. Living the dream. <laughs> How about Steven Spielberg's cameo, too, in that party scene? Whoa, let me think about that. He was, like, walking around greeting all his friends. Steven Spielberg was in it for, like, a half second. He's like, hey, David, how you doing? No, they I shook missed hands it. And, then he sep- and then he left. That was it. That's what I get for watching on the phone. I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the patient number on his cryotank says, it's like a letter and a number, and the number corresponds to a letter in the alphabet. Mm-hmm. So it's like PL515, blah, blah, blah. So if you replace all those numbers with letters, it says pleasant dreams. Oh, boy. And um, it also says don't wake him up somewhere else. Mm. And when he's getting his mug shot taken, it says uh, simple code. When did the dream become a nightmare when he gets arrested? So that's when like the nightmare begins. The board members, the seven dwarves, like like Snow White, who was asleep mm. the whole time. So at the end, I, I missed this, but Bruce Springsteen, the river album um is seen in like the closing montage and one of the lines in the river is if a dream is a lie is a dream a lie if it don't come true or is it something worse and then it's funny you put up this picture but rem has two songs in this movie god they're amazing and well rem stands for rapid eye movement which is get when out of when here you're in a dream that, that was on purpose too they named their band because <laughs> they knew this movie was going to come out and they wanted to they want to be a part of it. So this is filmed before 9-11. The, um, so they, they asked Cameron Crowe, the production company, I guess, asked him to take out the images of the Trade Center, and he refused. because he, yeah, he left them in. He left them in. The ticker, on the, it was November 2000 when they were filming the Times Square scene, and it said stuff about the election, Bush versus Gore. So they had to take that. That was the only thing they took out of that scene. That was the only hmm. CGI in the whole Times Square scene. Wow. Uh, I've been a pain in the ass to film that scene. <laughs> you see, uh, that wasn't the video you sent me. There's another one where the guys are like setting up. They're trying to like hold people back. It was like an early oh, Sunday really? morning and they're holding people back. And you see like the cinematographer like setting up and they're like, okay, Tom, go. And he just did it for uh-huh. whatever, 10 seconds. Um, did you know he lived in the Dakota, which is the where John Lennon lived and where he shot in front of? No. And they shot it without a permit. <laughs> Gorilla style. Oh my God. The, the exterior of that. So we talked about this a little. He was getting divorced from Nicole Kidman. And he, before it broke publicly, he told the cast and crew, like in a meeting before. Oh, jeez. Uh, did you know Pen- Penelope Cruz is also in the Spanish remake? I mean, the, I did, I did yeah, know that, the original yeah. one. That's pretty wild. Do you know who else uh, auditioned for Cameron Diaz's? N- Nicole Kidman. Oh, my God. That would have been amazing. <laughs> Kate Hudson turned it down. Kate? Oh, gosh. Oh, I can see the almost famous Oh, tie-in. yeah. I didn't even think of that. And Maggie Gyllenhaal audition. Hmm. We didn't talk about Kurt Russell, which, who I loved in that movie. A vision in this um, movie. And he was like his father phase. I read something else that he was like, his subconscious was putting people in his dream, and that was his mm-hmm. father figure. Who, who better yeah. than him? Michael- his, uh, his scene at the end where he realizes that he's not real. Oh. And he's like part of David Ames's uh, subconscious. Was he like gets like all the stages of grief in that like scene? He's like upset, he's angry, and then he like slowly calms down and, and accepts it. Oh man, so good! It would have been so much better, I thought, if he if he never asked him the question that that makes him stumble because the whole time mm. he's like, "Let me guess, if I say this guy comes in, he's gonna come in. He comes in. Was that a coincidence or is it in his dream?" So it would have right. been cool till the very end if it was like, um, you're not even sure. Maybe he jumped off the roof and he shouldn't have. Mm. But when he, but obviously when he can't know his daughter's names, he knows it's fake. <laughs> it's game over for him. I mean, that scene reminded me. It was emotional, but only because uh, 
it felt like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows when he uses the Philosopher's Stone and he sees his family around him before he goes face his death. <laughs> I think J.K. Rowling saw this movie and she's like, that's a great end. You see your family before you go face death. I think this is, that's what I'm going to do. God. That's good. I went through a lot there. Amazing list. <laughs> the, uh, I think his ex-wife did the soundtrack for the movie. Cameron Crowe's. Yes, you're right. You're right. Which uh, she was in Heart, right? I think. She was I didn't one know of that. The, yeah, I think so. Whoa. I remember, too, when it hit DVD, I watched, um, which I feel like bonus features are kind of lost these days anymore, but oh, I agree. the director's commentary was, I think, Tom, Cameron Crowe, and... Penelope like on a couch there was like a video feed of them that like overlaid on the oh man on the movie and it was when he was filming my report because he wore a hoodie or something or a hat because I think at that point he had like shaved his head for one of the scenes in my report and I was like why is he wearing that why, why does it look like he has no hair or something yeah you know what he should have been wearing to cover up that bald head a hat from half double design if you want some of the highest quality hand stitched products Look no further than halfdoubledesign.com. Amanda is waiting to hear from you. Check out her beanies, scarves, blankets, ties, or anything else that could be crocheted. Or a hat for your bald head. I personally bought from her shop, and I couldn't believe the quality I received. It definitely was not my granny's crochet. Halfdoubledesign.com. I remember the DVD music had um, everything in its right place. Radiohead, mm. which I used as an alarm clock on my phone for oh, many years. That's a good one. That's but eerie, the, uh, man. That's eerie. The, uh, the DVD, there was a documentary that Cameron Crowe made, um, which was them on a press tour for the movie, which is just like Cameron, Penelope, and Tom, and like some other people which don't really appear on camera. But I thought like just an amazing insight into like real people's lives on that press tour because he, Tom and Penelope fell in love while filming this movie and became a couple. Um, but you get to see like home video footage essentially of these three friends on a movie tour and joking around like normal people acting like normal people. Like you never see that. Like yeah. it's just like all hidden. Like it's crazy that he was able to film that and make it a bonus feature on the video. Yeah. I love that stuff. I'm, I love director commentary and bonus stuff. Just the, the way he also did it too was like, it was like 10, 15 reporters like in your face, in the camera's face, like asking questions. And as a viewer, you're like, I'm tired of this. And they do that like a hundred times in mm-hmm. a bunch of different countries. And it, you get tired. Like even though you, people are like oh, acting, whatever, it's fun. That yeah. that part's work, man. I don't even know if they do. Like, could you imagine? It's such a weird movie to promote like in Seoul, Korea or something like that. To, like, well, I feel like nowadays that's like his main market. Like he probably, his movies probably make way more money in China and elsewhere than they do in the in the united states anymore like i think the mummy was it was a colossal financial failure in the states but i think it made probably a ton of money in china like it made all its money back but they're probably never going to do it again they like good guy collateral i guess <laughs> <laughs> it's not just about domestic box office anymore tom's one of the biggest stars ever right now today because of uh, china it probably i'm trying to think because like yeah he does get into franchise mode after this movie and I don't know. Like, when did he start making $20 million a film? Was it here or was it like right I think before? it was around here because yeah. some of the interviews said that he, this movie was making him like $25 million or something. But those, the, the heyday of that, this must have been like peak or th- this decade must have been peak money making for him. Because after this, I feel like he wouldn't be able to command it anywhere near that. Yeah. You might, I don't know what, I don't know. Like, He's a producer now. So it's hard to, it's kind of gray area you know? some one of my buddies was saying how my list should have gone on further because of war of the worlds was after collateral but i actually don't like war of the worlds Ooh. but yeah 2005 was war of the worlds mission Impossible three was 2006 i think that's the height ah, that it, that would have been the height because after that he does lions for lambs valkyrie yeah like he's not getting 25 million dollars to do valkyrie night and day oh which God. wasn't really that great and then ghost protocol but he's like he's not getting paid 20 million dollars for that stuff well doesn't he produce i mean like he's the boss now i think isn't he putting the money behind that uh i don't know he's probably getting some kind of chinese consortium putting the money up (laughs) (laughs) the only reason the mummy ever got made (laughs) 
the I think that's why, that's why you have to defend him now, I think. People are like, he did the I, mummy. I need, but... I, need, I need to move to, to China. I need to get on this consortium. Start advising him on what projects to do next. He did just join, what was it, Twitter or something? He, was, he just... and I joined Instagram, for Instagram. The, to promote Fallout, <laughs> which looks amazing. It's funny. I got to go back and get back on Mission Impossible because that Mission Impossible, I loved Mission Impossible 1 and Mission Impossible 2 was fun, but I'm like, oh, so they went from like Die Hard to like Die Hard 5 with this character because he's like impervious. <laughs> it was like a serious movie in the beginning and then it was like, I mean, it's fun, but... Well, yeah, I think like, didn't John Woo direct Mission John Impossible Woo. 2? God, yeah. was not, I didn't like Mission Impossible 2 at all. And that's why I jumped off. I, I don't think I've seen the Mission movie. Impossible. You haven't even seen 3 yet? No, and I know you're talking about J.J. Abrams? You Who's kidding that? me? Who's that? End of this Skype call. No. Maybe we do a marathon. Uh, you, you See, this is when I think I started falling off on Tom. And this is when you started picking up. Because I was uh-huh. big at like Far and Away. Come on. I've never far seen it. What? Never seen it. There's, there's a desire. scene. I know he's got that terrible accent. It's making me not want to watch it. There's a scene he's naked in a bed. And he's just got a bowl around his junk. And Nicole Kidman <laughs> like picks it up. And as like a 10-year-old or whatever, I thought it was the most erotic thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so I like this uh, Lincoln bio. I thought it was a good idea just because, you know, it starts people off talking about something they love. It really is a good like entry point to get to know someone. It's sort of intimate too, man, because it's like mm-hmm. you're not just saying, yeah, my dad likes movies and or this movie and I talk to him about it. You're watching it and you're engaging with and the, you're like... This is a piece of my father in a weird way, and I'm, yeah. I'm sharing it. Um, yeah, I, I I feel like I missed out growing up because I never watched um, any of my dad's movies like that, like the old black and white ones. I had zero desire to. Does it have Tom Cruise in it, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. I never, when i looking at them in passing, they were always musicals or like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and I was like, this, I don't have any desire to watch that. Um, but now as I got older, I don't know, I felt like you see a few movies from like eras that you wouldn't have watched and you're like, well, maybe, maybe that is a really good movie. I don't know. Maybe I should watch it. Um, plus my, like when I interviewed my dad, I, he talks about movies all the time, but I felt like I never engaged with him on a level that I had for that podcast. So I thought that it was beneficial for, you know, for both of us that we had to have these conversations about movies that he loves that, you know, he probably hasn't had that conversation with anyone for a long time. I mean, I could hear his eyes lighting up. You could tell like he, and I mean that like, yeah, like genuinely, like he felt like alive, I think talking about that with you. Yeah. Like my mom doesn't give a crap about Kang's row anymore. (laughs) She definitely does roll her eyes when that comes on. She probably just says, I'm out of here. I'm going read a book. Was that the reason, like, uh, so Paper Keg ended in 300 episodes and did, like, 500 episodes of Comixology and The Flap and mm-hmm. Tech Smoke, and and I knew you had more in you, I guess, but, um, the, I mean, there's, like, 275,000 hours of podcasting in your belt. That's a lot. I did the math. And um, <laughs> was this, like, the... Is it, was this your idea? Like, I'm going to connect with people in a certain way. People, Because these are voices in, in your life. It's sort of like you're learning about yourself in a weird way. These are people in my life, and I'm learning more about them. It helps you learn more about you in a weird way. Yeah. Well, I, I enjoyed the break. Like, after the work podcast ended and Paper Cake ended, it was, like, awesome to not do a weekly show for the first time in I don't even know how many years it was. But... I was telling Amanda, my wife, like when I started to get the itch back again, because when Paper Keg was going weekly and I was doing the work one, I was totally burned out. And then she like kept like, when's the the last episode again? When's it coming? When's that? When's that hidden? (laughs) And then, I don't know, like not like making things makes me itchy like so i started doing those goofy instagram video stuff mm-hmm. just to like scratch an itch that i had and then i started to get the itch again to do more podcast stuff but less reliant on like things out of, out of my control hmm. like for, for like the work one is you know it's a work one and i it definitely is fulfilling in different ways than like stuff that i would do on my then on my own like you're still kind of uh, 
serving a certain master for a work podcast. But like, and then when you do paper keg, which was amazing and, but you're still like reliant on so many different variable factors. And like, we have many children among us work schedules changed. It's like super hard to get three people together to do a podcast. So I started to think like, what would I get enjoyment out of? Hmm. And coming up with like a seasonal format interview type conversation show was what I settled on. And I actually had the idea for this podcast for work like a year ago or like a year and a half ago. And it was going to be um, interviewing comic book creators about their favorite comic. Hmm. That's a good one. And yeah. So it kind of like stalled out and I just like, just kept it in the back burner for myself. Um, but I feel like the, the kind of conversations people have about things they love don't really happen as much hmm. in day to day. Like, the conversations we have on Twitter and in like G chat or aloe, God rest its soul. <laughs> they're not as like as emotionally rewarding as a conversation between two people that either one of which loves something or both love it or both have experienced it. And then like, you don't really ever prod or push deeper to find out why someone loves something. It's just hmm. like a, it's like a short conversation the last few minutes and then you're on your way and there's nothing like retained, but I feel like in these conversations I'm retaining something or learning something that like, I never would have read Animorphs, <laughs> you know, I never would have read <laughs> Duncan Wood, all 800 pages of it. Um, well, that's what I mean. It wasn't like you just saying, Oh, tell me about why you like this. You actually would do that too. I'm going to go to a ballet. Tia loves ballet. I'm going to go and, and, or I'm going to watch a video based on, on it and it wasn't just tell me why you love it you're participating in a weird way too which i think was a good idea yeah for sure like i was never into um interviewing people with like not knowing the source material but i think this is like a lot different like in interviews you're kind of just trying to get a response from someone to tell people about the source material but in this it's more of a conversation kind of trying to share that person's like life experience with the thing. And I feel like the end product is worth uh, the effort. Yeah. It's a lot of effort over the years. <laughs> it's a lot. Of, <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even get my Skype to work before this. <laughs> you were sweating it earlier. Oh, audacity export as a what? <laughs> well, plus doing it in like a seasonal format. Like I didn't want to have to do, I don't want to have to go back into the weekly grind. Like I do already do enough media stuff for work where I don't want to add on another thing. Hmm. Um, but at, well, at least the last two episodes of the first season were like done within the last like few weeks. I just kind of like lost track of time and I was like, oh shit, I got to record these episodes and some fell through. Um, but when season two comes around, I'll probably do the same thing, like take a month or two to record them. And then not have to worry about like, oh, God, I got to edit this tonight for it to go out tomorrow or because, I mean, I'm kind of over that <laughs> as a as someone who's edited podcasts for the last like decade. Yeah, I know. And you made your own monster in a weird way, too. Like you were like, I got to get this out. It's your podcast. Man. Like, you yeah, say, no yeah. Like, own like worst enemy. if it's like it's like inconceivable that like a show would come out like a day late in like <laughs> my view, like that, I, that I'm the one who's solely responsible for it. Like, oh, I got to. I got to edit this. I got to do it tonight. Yeah, you were like just when I interviewed my dad like last week. I think like the next day I started or not maybe like Saturday night or Sunday night I was editing it and I interviewed him Sunday morning cuz I was like, oh, I got to got to get cracking here. It was worth it, I think. For sure. Everybody loves your dad. Come on. <laughs> I tell you, they do. It's and like being uh, surrounded by like my parents for so many years, it's seeing the reactions of people that love my dad is hilarious cuz like Amanda uh, like go, we go to lunch with my parents and it's like, it's like a totally different experience that like people are like, Oh my God, I love your dad talking to movies. Like we're like, what, what's, what, what are you, what are you saying? Do you he sounds so sweet talking about movies, but maybe he's a, a mean guy in real life. You're going to dinner. He's yelling at the waitress. <laughs> if you only Slowest knew the reader real... in the family, you know, he's always asking if you're going to finish eating that. We got to wait 20 minutes for him to wrap up. <laughs> But it's 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 funny seeing a different perspective on um, something that we take for granted. 
Are you like that in real life? Like you'll just even without a podcast, you'll just want that connection with someone like you. No. Interview them. Mm-hmm. No, like you'd be like No, I thought about that actually when I was interviewing my dad. Um that I, f- I was kind of like annoyed at myself that I'm not. Hmm. Like that I wasted time. Like I wasted years not having these kind of conversations with my dad. Uh so it's funny that you brought that up. But yeah, I'm totally not like I I don't know anymore I kind of like it's funny, I remember following a radio host when I was younger. He was always saying how like when he's not doing the show, he like doesn't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> he just like is antisocial. I don't think I'm antisocial, but like I some like sometimes people will like engage me on like topics and like I literally think to myself, like, I don't want to spend more than ten seconds talking about this with you. <laughs> <laughs> like in my head, it's just like this is a colossal waste of time. This is great, but no, I don't want to talk about this. Just but tell I, me if I'm ever that person and be like, just shut the fuck up. I won't reveal my tells in my conversations with anyone, but I, I don't know. I, it depends. Like, it has to be a topic that, like, I would be interested in. If it's, like, a topic that I'm not, like, actively engaged in, like, around work. Like, people have these in-depth conversations about comic books, and sometimes I just, like, I'm, I have zero desire to engage, like... People think comic book fans like are already always want to jump into a debate and like I have zero desire to jump into a comic book debate for the rest of my life. Like I've lived it. I've I've done it enough times where I would literally never want to debate the killing joke with you or what's the best (laughs) Batman comic book. Like I would rather go jump in traffic than do that. Like you go ahead. (laughs) If that's your prerogative, go ahead. See, I thought it was like you were going up to like the register person at target and just like asking them everything (laughs) about their life and a waiter. Where are you from? I mean, I am personable to strangers. I'm not like a curmudgeon. Like I'll, I'll, I'm a social butterfly with people that I don't know. I get it. You just like talking about yourself. That's the thing. (laughs) Like you told me before we recorded, you set up this whole Lincoln Bio podcast just to talk about yourself for an hour in the season finale. Maniac. <laughs> what kind of a person has someone interview him on his own show for the final episode? What kind of sicko would have that idea? Well, you're a seasoned interviewer these days anyway. Oh yeah, with your with your. Uh, I talked to a series. lot of Target people at the checkout. I interviewed them, <laughs> honing your craft. I'm that guy interviewing the waiter about where they're from. <laughs> Who's next on your uh, interview docket? After you, this is the yeah, highlight of my life right it? here, man. Are you gonna switch? You gonna pivot to podcast interviews for your this, website? This is like Jordan. The first time he retired, I'm going out on top. Right now. <laughs> You're gonna go play baseball. Well, I was always what I wanted to ask you, like. Um, you said you followed a like a radio host, I guess, and was it always uh, like radio or podcast? Like when podcast, for, I feel like you were on their ground level. Like you started, and you're like, "This is what I want. I want to do that." You had this little swagger about you. Let's be honest. When you started, <laughs> like you would even say it. Like, there's a lot of podcasts out there about po- yeah, comic books. We're gonna is. be the good one. I'm gonna be the right guy. I'm gonna do this right. Um, that was a long time ago. I'm a different man. No, no, you are. I, I totally, totally agree. But, but, but I think to get started i had the mindset mindset of like being if you're gonna do something i think i've written this on my blog if i don't even know if the url even still works but like if you're gonna do something you should be arrogant in thinking that you should you're gonna do it better than someone else like otherwise why and do say it? it and say it a bunch of times though <laughs> well, i think i said it so many times is because the comic podcasting scene around that time i don't even know if it really still is no was just horrid like right. it's, it's just bad. Like people with like mic, Apple headphone microphones. Um, I've been, I've seen, I've listened to comic podcasts where there's like five hosts. One of them talking into his input on his laptop. One of them is like talking into a shoebox, and they're just all over the place. It's trash. But like, I don't know. And so when we first started doing it, I was like, we. I think everyone starts a podcast with this mindset of like, we can do this. We're funny. We're <laughs> hilarious. Most of the time it's not true. All, like 99% of the time it's not true, but at least that's why we did it. Um, and well, the, the audio quality is definitely something it's like not just doing it, but you're going to study up on the 
correct way to do an audio input or like you had that right. passion that drive to keep keep going like that and that stuff wasn't even around like yeah when i would pre-nerdcast the podcast i won't even say out loud because i don't i hope no one ever finds it in history <laughs> i was looking i was looking <laughs> thank god it's not available but like back then taking skype calls on a podcast the amount of internet research i had to do in 2007 to try to figure that out was next level. Like hmm. people will never have to do that kind of, it's like studying for an exam in 1980. Like you're going <laughs> to find encyclopedias, Britannica in your local library. I was calling up like guitar shops, no looking way. for like mic inputs. I was like, Hey, I want to do this, this and this. What kind of, you know, mic would that work? Um, that technology just wasn't around that now Dude, you can just wow. you can go into like websites like Zencast and it does all the work for you. Like you don't have to do literally anything to record a Skype conversation and have two audio files. Um, but that was you know that was eleven years ago. Yeah, but you taught yourself all that. That's that's pretty. Yeah, cool. and it was like back then and like even the audio quality compared to now is like totally different than what I had back then because I was still kind of like trying different mics that I could afford to see they weren't even really like condenser mics or whatever you call them um so the audio was still wasn't even like perfect but we i actually still use the mixer that i had in 2007 at the office for our facebook stuff that's the mixer that we have in there um it's gonna be retired gonna like you're gonna have that at the house like on the wall <laughs> yeah that'll be bronzed there's it's I, I i think it's hard for people to make a podcast and then ask themselves if this is actually good and maybe maybe people don't care maybe they just want to do it and that's fine too um but in my opinion i feel like you shouldn't do it if it's not good like i've listened to like people will say like oh i got this new podcast out i'm doing it and it's rough around the edges and i guess i don't know that just bugs me just because i want people to like be cognizant of if it's good or bad or not and like try to make it better um so back then that's the whole reason we started like you're dumb and unfunny. Let's start a podcast. And now look at me, I'm interviewing, having deep emotional connections with people talking about things they love. It's like the total strange path of what I started out as. It's a great path. It's amazing. What about like James, you know, I was thinking like James one day when he grows up, um, we'll have all these audio of, it's different than a photograph. Like, He'll see, he'll hear his dad talking to his grandpa about a movie and it's like a deeper, mm. deeper way of getting to know you guys. And he probably yeah. won't get it till he's like 30, 35 too. Like we didn't get I, it, but you know, it's funny. Um, buddy of mine hit me up on, uh, IG chat and said <laughs> the same thing. How lucky I am to have hmm. conversations with my dad recorded for my son. Hmm. Um, and hopefully James has an interest in you know listening and hopefully these will be available in some fashion for him to listen i don't know you know what the future holds but like it would be great if he had any desire to listen to it um because you know i don't i don't want to have any idea what what it sounded like for my dad to talk to his dad mm. um or like my grandmother like there's no recorded conversation of her speaking to anyone so i mm. feel like we're ahead of the game um but yeah that's a total total win and something I didn't consider until after the fact for sure. After the season you mean or just like when you started like um, recording yourself? I, I, like when I started recording with my dad for the first episode like 10 minutes in I realized that like this is super cool and I was like thinking to myself like maybe the whole season should just be me and my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Go to a restaurant as he's slow eating and, and record. <laughs> Who are like some of the people like because you like who like inspired you though like would you were like into radio or were you, or interviews in general or was that um, like? not really like i think i'm strange in the fact that i don't like really listen to a ton of podcasts um like i don't have some kind of like podcast like um to, like what what the f pod mark maron like i don't really care about mark maron that much like he's not like I'm trying to think of like big name interviewers like Nerdist or Mark Maron. They're like the top. And then you have like Terry Gross, Fresh Air, um, and what's his face from This American Life. But none of them really like, I don't think I had anyone that kind of pushed me into like, yeah, I want to do that. Hmm. 
it never started out as like interviews early on. It was just like three people hanging out and talking, <laughs> but the interview stuff kind of happened with work and I felt like I did, I felt like I liked it enough where I could see myself kind of like doing it as a personal gig. Honestly, the the best interviewer that I've listened to lately has been Michael Barbaro from the daily New York times podcast. Yeah, I think that yeah, guy's a great cool. interviewer. Yeah. He's like phenomenal. He's good. Once um, you said something interesting, it was Alec Baldwin's podcast. You said, you, oh, you liked him. yeah, for sure. I forgot about that. His, his interviews are amazing. Hmm. Even though he's squirrely AF and kind of a weirdo. <laughs> That's actually, I haven't listened to him in a while since he just sounds like a nutball, but his interviews are very probing and conversational and very good because he has generally who he interviews. He has like a deeper knowledge of them and an interest in them where like you can kind of get with his interviews that he is, he's like fascinated and he's kind of sitting on the edge of his seat for like the really good interviews. And that always resonated with me and I could tell, and that made it like a better interview. But Michael Barbaro, I remember I first listened to The Daily and I was like, man, this guy's got a weird voice and a weird inflection. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. But as I listened, I realized that he's really solid. Hmm. Plus, he makes a noise when he when he's interviewing people that cracks me up. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I probably, I think I edit out when I do that a lot of the time. But I, don't, I wonder what the process is for him leaving those in or whoever edits the show for him cracks me up. He probably does that when he interviews people in the target line and the, and the waiters. <laughs> <laughs> Price drop. Hmm. Yeah, I always thought you were great too. Like one of my favorite interviews you ever did was with uh, Rick Remender, who you were. Oh yeah, and we all love Rick. And he, and sure. there was so there was a part of the conversation where he's like talking for I don't know it could have been like eight minutes or something and and you always wonder if you're there and then like you say something you're quiet the whole time and you'll say something that's like spot on. And it's like an right. interviewer knows when to shut up and to inject something good at the right time. The other thing too I liked about that interview was there was like there was like a second of a fanboy coming out of you in that where I think you told him <laughs> about the fear agent tattoo and I was like it's so cute. Well those like when I was uh doing interviews for work, I kind of and like I would have like like Kara came on and started to do them with me or Tia and I, the only advice I would ever give them not advice but like hey we're about to do this interview one thing to keep in mind is like because sometimes they would have to do them by themselves and you never know if someone's comfortable doing that interviewing someone on a podcast by themselves it's pretty daunting um sometimes you don't get your skype working and start sweating and using audacity <laughs> but like planning your follow-up question is like 80 percent of interviewing someone on a podcast in those moments with like rick remender there's a point where you have to fight zoning out not like zoning out, but like, oh shit, what am I going to follow up here with that's going to sound moderately intelligent? And that's like really difficult. And the magic of editing can solve that super easy. Um, but like conversation, well, that's another point. Most people don't know how to do that and edit it and make it sound seamless. That's another problem entirely. But having that conversationally is super difficult. So like with, with, with those interviews, you kind of like sit and listen to the answer and then like, okay, here are my set prepared 20 um, questions. But a lot of times those just go thrown out the window and you could follow a different path based on the answers. But having that follow-up prepared is like half the battle. Yeah, for sure. And I think like looking at somebody, like I meant to do this <laughs> with my eyes closed, but I keep like gazing into you and I keep getting thrown <laughs> off. I'm watching you sweat right now in that room. You were like a glazed so ham right now. Here, my God. <laughs> I think well, I took a funny. before and it, after picture. I'm going to try You that. mentioned um, Remender and letting the person talk. The first time I interviewed him, I don't know if Rick will ever listen to this, but the first time yeah, I interviewed him up, was Rick? for Black Science. I know you're listening. It was for Black Science. And that one started off on the wrong foot because uh, he like forgot that the interview was happening and I started getting a bad vibe. But I was like, oh, oh God, no. maybe we should reschedule. And that one, I didn't actually like that interview that much. Or at least like as me as a as a interviewer, I was like that one could have gone better. Hmm. But the the fear agent one was pretty good. Hmm. But then like you interview someone like 
name drop Todd McFarlane like Todd McFarlane like I didn't have to do like literally any work for that interview he he literally talked for 98% of that episode he's amazing <laughs> he's amazing he's still talking you shut the mic off he, he is yeah he's amazing but I mean sometimes in those like in if anyone wants to get like super inside baseball like those uh, sometimes I have to determine if I had to edit out like the Michael Barbaro hmm like because I do that a lot during an interview and I'll, a lot of times I'll go back and snip out me laughing or me loudly inhaling that I didn't hear myself or like pursing my lips together or making just an acknowledgement that I'm still listening because like as a as maybe communicating with someone that sounds fine. But like as a podcast, like that doesn't really need to be there. You know, the two people are there. Um, but that's just a weird thing. I can't imagine what editing you have to do today with my mumbled breathing <laughs> jumbled self. I apologize. The one with my dad, I actually sat and timed. I think it was like whatever, how, whatever length of the show it is. Uh, I think just like double it. And that's usually how long it takes to edit. So that one was like a two hour. Well, I also added in audio from the movie. So that took a little bit of time, but I once wrote in, uh, I asked you what your dream like interview would be. Do you remember? Oh, it was in the comic book world. Do you remember who? who I think I said Alan Moore. That's a good answer. Alan Moore. That's correct. Who would it be like outside comics? Famous person. Not, not like somebody you know. I, I think it would just be hilarious to interview Tom Cruise. Yeah. Like that. It just would be, he doesn't do a lot of interviews, but I feel like in a different setting, it would be entertaining. Like maybe he's done Nerdist. And I feel like that would be like a similar, mm. like, we're not, we're not here to help you promote your movie. We're going to have a conversation. And that's like their, their bit. It's not called Nerdist anymore. It's, I think it's called Idiot or whatever it's called. Oh, um, but I feel like you could ask, or at least I could ask Tom like questions that he maybe hasn't been asked a million times. Or like, I would be interested in getting different answers from him than someone else would be. Go. What's one question? <laughs> like, I want to find out what Tom's day-to-day life is like what do you eat for breakfast what time you wake up what's your favorite ride at disney world what was the best movie you saw in the last like three weeks do you even watch movies vanilla sky like (laughs) how many times do you watch vanilla sky this week (laughs) you could go in different directions with someone like tom cruise that like not everyone's going to ask about scientology not everyone's going to ask about his career like a lot of times i just don't give a crap like let's talk about like different things that you don't ever usually get to talk about. And that's why I drifted into the format for this show because it's, you know, Ariel doesn't get to talk to anyone about Duncan Wood <laughs> or my dad doesn't get to talk to anyone about his movies anymore. So like, what can we talk about that would excite you and would, would that be a fun conversation? Well, I did my best, but best I could do for you <laughs> is this. Hey Slim, it's Tom Cruise here. Just wanted you to know I'm a big fan of yours, actually. I love what you, Jonesy, and Dale did with that interview with the podcast vampire. I'm really enjoying the Slinkin' bio. <laughs> How about that vanilla sky, eh? <laughs> Call me. <laughs> Unreal. How did you get Tom's number? I said, I put it out there. He, so he just joined Instagram, and I, I, I hit him up, and I was like, listen. Did. Yeah. I called in a favor. Instagram, you Instagram DM'd Tom Cruise and he sent an audio file over for this podcast. He doesn't even know how it works yet. So that's why I, was, I got in early. Another episode of Link in Bio in the books. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, maybe tweet out a link. Maybe Facebook message someone. Maybe call up your cousin on the telephone and say you liked it and that they should listen. You know? Maybe leave a review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they call it now. If you didn't like it, well, you can't win them all, right? Goodbye.